Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hello and welcome to this episode of Impact the World with my special guest, Mrs. Kasha Davis. This show is a first for us because not only do we have Mrs. Kasha Davis, who is a self-confessed international celebrity housewife, and some of you may be familiar with Mrs. Kasha because she was a contestant on season seven of RuPaul's Drag Race, but we also get to speak to Ed, the man behind Mrs. Kasha Davis. And I think why this show moved me so much was not only was it fun to do the first part of the interview with Ed as Mrs. Kasha Davis, but we really got into a conversation about the nature of identity, expression, and multidimensionality, and how for Ed, he has witnessed his drag persona as Mrs. Kasha Davis being a world unto herself and what it is that she ignites in other people and the magic of that. So I hope you enjoy this show. We start with Mrs. Kasha Davis, and then we move to a conversation with Ed. You can follow Mrs. Kasha on Instagram or her website is mrskashadavis.com. As ever, we put the links in the show notes. And for those of you who want to support our show and have asked how you can do that, the best way is if you subscribe, rate, or review the show over at Apple Podcasts. Hope you enjoy this episode. So, Mrs. Kasha Davis, thank you so much for being with us. <laughs> Hello, do I have you on the line, long distance? <laughs> I'm on the line, baby, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's great to have you here. I only became familiar with you fairly recently, or at least in detail, and have been able to see all of the great stuff that you've been doing online, especially on your Instagram page. So it's a treat to get to talk to you. And I guess the first thing I would like to ask you is, how long have you been somebody who has been performing? Oh, my gosh. Well, first and foremost, it's a treat to talk to you because I just recently discovered you. I was in Barnes & Noble and your book said, hey, come over here. And I read it and I have just been enamored ever since, just enjoying the 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 uh, monthly updates, most especially just getting me through and taking that information and finding a way to channel it and use it and give it away. So thank you, first and foremost. But uh, I have been performing my whole life. I went to school for theater. Uh, I've always wanted to be on the stage. I like a soft G because I'm a lawyer. Uh, and I uh, have been doing drag uh, as Mrs. Kasha Davis since 2004. And was that something that you had long thought about or did it just happen overnight for you? Well, you know, when I was a little boy, girl, gal, girl, boy, fella. <laughs> exactly. There, were, there was no celebration of, uh, you know, homosexuality. It was a matter of, you know, the, the people on TV that I would see back in the 70s and 80s, oh, they were light in the loafers, you know. And I uh, always gravitated to the fabulous, you know. Some people were born men, some were born women. I was born fabulous, you know. 
And I just identified with fabulous. I don't know what that meant at an early age. And I gravitated to my grandmother, who was a whistler uh, in the vaudeville days. Fabulous jewelry and black, jet black hair. And she would whistle on stage in uh, the vaudeville days. And boy, could she blow. Uh, I, I, you know. And I just wanted to be her, but I didn't know what that was. But my family was, you're being too feminine. Suppress, suppress, suppress. And uh, I got the opportunity to get into theater, and that became a time where I could be celebrated. But again, drag was not even a question. It was just something that I, I think I saw RuPaul at one point, back when his uh, Supermodel song came out, and I thought, okay, still not, no connection. And it didn't happen until I saw Miss Richfield 1981 in P-Town, and I said, oh, she's, a, she's got a whole character and she's telling a story, and it's theater. And then I got, I got hooked. Mm. And P-Town is Provincetown, which is yeah, a place. Yeah, I love, I love it there. It's amazing. So what was the, well, there's many things I would ask you, but I know that you have been, you've been a singer. You have some singles out. Um, you have performed live a lot around the country. And You've also been on television on our screens and you were yeah. in RuPaul's Drag Race and many other appearances that you've had. What is your favorite medium to perform in, if you have one? Oh, gosh, absolutely the live stage. You know, that opportunity to feel that energy from the audience and to give those pauses where they're needed, whether it's for, uh, for comedy or, you know, for a serious one. There's nothing better than getting people to telling them, telling them the truth and having them think about how that, you know, sadness or emotion can relate to their life and then get them laughing. Mm. You know, it's that, that is just a thrill. So certainly for me, but you know, being on RuPaul's Drag Race, competing on season seven really escalated the opportunity for me to travel, not just all around the country, but I've been all around the world. Fantastic. And I've noticed that, you know, COVID this year, 2020, when we're recording this interview has changed everybody's lives in so many different ways. But I've noticed a lot of people who previously were performing in live venues have managed to take it more online. How has that impacted you this year? Because I, I see how many people you're reaching and impacting with your home broadcasts, um, even though you have this fabulous set here. You, you've managed to reach people through your Instagram page and how has that been for you as, as a different way of, of connecting? Oh, I'll tell you, it's been, it's been a challenge, as it's been a challenge for everyone. You know, in March, I had a calendar that had bookings throughout the year. And in, as, as much like many other people, it got cleared. And my favorite thing to do in drag is to uh, do story time. And I was doing that live at a theater. And I saw and I felt this turmoil and parents wondering what they were going to do at home with their kids and school and, and all. And I thought, well, I'm going to do what I love and I'm going to, you know, broadcast story time live on Instagram and on Facebook and now on YouTube and, and talk about what's happening for real, not just be silly and campy and funny. That's definitely part of it. But to be honest and real about what's happening and that it's, it's, an, it's a different time. It's a scary time. It's a, 
anxious time. And what do those things mean? And so many, there are so many, so many books that you can, that you can uh, use. My our da- oldest daughter is a children's librarian and she picks them out for us. And the books have the, those themes that we can talk to the kids, le- much like Mr. Rogers, that honesty of Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. And that has been amazing. And, now, and, and then w- what else can we do? I mean, we are in a situation where we're all, there's a, the playing field is leveled. And, and so, well, I absolutely love to entertain. So I have the opportunity because of social media to get out there and do it. I can sit at home and pout that my calendar got cleared or I can get dressed up. What's great is I only have to get dressed up from here up. (laughs) Yeah, I've got my hairy legs out, my bare feet, but you have the opportunity to maybe brighten people's days or share some positivity or listen to your wonderful uh, broadcast and see how that can translate for my audience and then share that as well. So I watched your story time yesterday that you broadcast live and we're recording this at the end of September, but you read the book and I have it here, Pink is for Boys. Yes. And you read the book and you also shared with us. Could you tell us a little bit about that book? Because it was, it was so beautiful, the story time and the impact of that book and how you guided us through it as an audience was perfect. Well, thank you. And I, I breezed through the books and that our daughter selects and I, and I find what speaks to me because children's books are so often mostly written for the parents because it helps a parent, you know, to talk about different things and you choose these books and pink is for boys and, and pink is for girls and green is for boys and green is for girls. And I just remember as a child being told I could not play with a certain toy. I could not wear a certain color. And I know now, I know now that it was a different time, but I also know that my, specifically my father was, was trying to protect me because he sensed something different, maybe some weakness in what he perceived as these feminine qualities coming from me. And really what those qualities were, were, you know, tenderness. I was a very emotional child. I was sensitive, caring. And those aren't bad things, but those aren't necessarily perceived as those immediate things that people go to as masculine. I had to be tougher. I had to be stronger. I had to play sports. And I found this book fascinating because it's very simple. And in the end, it talks about the rainbow and that we are all a part of uh, the rainbow and it's all, all colors are for everyone. And, you know, there's nothing greater than feeling you're, like you're a part of a community, a part of a whole because if the whole, because if a child feels as though, you know, I like pink and now I'm, I'm odd and I'm weird and I'm a boy and I'm not supposed to like pink, then they start to have doubt, self-doubt, and then that could escalate. So in, in the opportunity, uh, in, the, in between the story of the book, I just try to share things from my life that, you know, it's okay to have a baby doll, whether you're a boy or a girl, because it just teaches you to be a better parent. And, or, or to care for others. And this is specifically, my grandmother uh, was a, a wonderful influence in my life. And I remember my, she just swooped in when I was a child because she noticed that my father and my grandfathers were saying, no, 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 those are, that doll is for girls. And at night she'd give me the rag doll and she'd say, this will help you to be a better parent. And she said, and by the way, that was your father's doll. Wow. You know, 
Oh, okay. But that's our little secret. Ah, okay. Go you on. know? Yeah, yeah. And so I was taught that those choices and things that I liked right from the beginning, I had to suppress them. And I had to not be myself if I were to fit in. But of course, I never fit in because I wasn't truly being myself. Yeah. Which I think for, for anyone who doesn't identify as heterosexual, that is, that is an issue for, for all of us in childhood and then early adulthood often, and it can escalate into all kinds of problems. But I also think even within heterosexuality, you know, I have so many heterosexual male and female friends who didn't identify with what was the track that was laid down for them around the kind of man they were supposed to be, the kind of woman they were supposed to be, these boxes that really cause more harm than good. Yes. And as we know now more and more, and we're learning that the, the gender is such a spectrum and people uh, deserve the respect to be exactly who they are, wherever they lie on that spectrum and however they were born. Absolutely. I was just, we had a, a wonderful interview guest recently, Paria Hasori, and uh, she, she has a wonderful book about her, her son's transition to becoming a, her daughter. And, and we, were, we were saying that perhaps in the 80s, it felt like there was a bit of a zeitgeist around gay and lesbian rights. And now it feels like we're at the point where transgender rights and gender fluidity is, is more the topic of conversation. So it's interesting to see how a few decades later, we're at a different point in that openness to anybody being whoever they are. Yes. And, and so often, as you look back in history, uh, we, we see that it's, it's always been this way. We've always had people who had, uh, you know, diff double, double genders and, and all of these types of things. And, and it really comes down to uh, loving one another and treating each other with kindness. You know, the biggest message that we, we talk about in story time isn't about, wow, this is how you dress up and drag. It's if you happen to see somebody different in the world, treat them with kindness. Yeah. And I love that you have that here behind you. And I know I know from some of your earlier work, you used to have a tagline, which was, there's always time for a cocktail. <laughs> yeah. And now your tagline is, there's always time for kindness. So <laughs> what brought about that transformation? Well, you know, when I first started doing drag, uh, there's always time for a cocktail was a great opportunity for me to continue drinking because I'll tell you what, I used to drink every morning, noon, and night. <laughs> it was not a problem for me to uh, have a cocktail. And people thought it was funny when I would get on the microphone a little tipsy and this, that, and the other. And it became this suburban housewife who wanted to get out to perform, but she had a, a couple too many cocktails and then... <laughs> well, now I'm just a little over five years sober. And uh, thank God. And I'm so grateful for that because it's changed everything about my life. Absolutely everything from my life as Ed and my life as Mrs. Kasha Davis. And so I started to think, well, you, you know, I used that tagline at the end when I was eliminated on RuPaul's Drag Race. I walked out and I said, Mr. Davis better have that box wine chilling. And remember, there's always time for a cocktail. Well, now what the hell am I going to do? You know, so this is something that got branded. And because of the work with Storytime and because of the honesty that I began to find through my sobriety in my performance, I just changed it to there's always time for kindness. Now, of course, people still want to hear me say the other one, but uh, that's good for you. If, there's, if you can continue having those cocktails, you go right ahead. <laughs> just yeah. don't take my drinking advice. You'll yes. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, and, and it's funny, I, I just want to go back to story time for a second, because I meant to ask you this when we were talking about it. So walk us through when you were doing story time live in the theater with parents and their kids, because this was something that was new to me uh, just as, as an event. So yeah, tell us what that was and what that was like, because I thought that was such a great idea. Well, you know, drag story time isn't anything absolutely new. Uh, many people uh, are doing it all across the country. And I, I know it, in San Francisco and New York City is a, a primarily places where it began. And then it started to, to catch on. And there were many protesters at these events. And there were questions, of course, from people saying, you're using our funding at the library uh, to force your agenda on our children. Right. And so the theater that I perform at here in Rochester, New York, said, let's start to do story time. And I thought, well, that's a great idea because it's at the theater. It's a private event. And then we said, let's offer it free to the community. And then uh, we started to say, well, what if we have protesters? And that's where we said the answer to the question, if, the, if they should come forward in a, on an interview, you know, what agenda are you pushing? We say, if we happen to see somebody different, treat them with kindness. And I was interviewed one other time by a local news station, and they said, well, you know, Mrs. Kasha Davis, that was wonderful. You, you came out and sang some, mu uh, some original music. You read the story, and you asked the children questions about what they will be when they grow up, hmm. you know, working on using posit positive language. and, and just of what do you want to be, just what, what will you be when you grow up? Exactly. Versus, and, and the answers, some of them are, you know, I'm going to be a, a unicorn to, I'm, you know, a marine biologist. I'm like, and she's four, you know. <laughs> okay. You know, and of course the audience, the parents love this. Yeah. And, and we interact and we dance, and then it ends with a dance party. And uh, so the interviewer said to me, why didn't you explain to them that you were dressed in drag? And I said, well, that answer is simple. They never asked the question. Now, if the children should ask the question, I answer anything. And there have been a few times where at the end, if we do some photos, a little boy who's usually they're a little bit older, comes up to me and is like, you are not really a girl. And I'm like, you figured it out. And then we high five. And then the next thing you know, he's my helper. Right. All he's looking for is honesty. Yeah. So I do things in my story time, such as when I was a little boy. And you know, kids, I love to dress up. And so they hear those things and, and we do now sometimes add those things in, but they come to the theater looking to see Mrs. Kasha Davis who likes sparkly dresses and likes to read books and we dance and sing. And that's exactly why they come. And so, you know, the, the inspiration and the, the dream for me is to have the first drag queen television show for children. That is, uh, you know, the campiness the drag of Pee Wee Herman and the honesty of Mr. Rogers, where we're talking about real life things. And, uh, and I, and I'm, we're working on that. So we have a pitch video and it's, it's something that I am very passionate about. Again, giving children the opportunity to, to learn to express their most genuine self. Again, I, the exaggeration of Mrs. Kasha Davis is an, is a result of what I've suppressed for 44 years, yeah. you know, and, um, 
and I've never felt better about myself. I, I, I live as Ed, and I perform as uh, uh, Mrs. Kasha Davis, and I've never felt more at home uh, with myself and what I'm doing. And it's tough, like you mentioned with COVID, but, you know, I think, I believe that the answers will come, and I'll just take the next step forward and, 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 and be as positive as possible. That's fantastic. And it's interesting because that, that repression to expression, which you talk about you, you as a performer getting to encapsulate now versus the history of your life and having to suppress those aspects of yourself is the thing that I see really touching people when it comes to drag. And one of the things I grew up in England where it's quite normal you know, we have these pantomimes every year. It accounts for 90% of all theatre revenue in the UK. I used to work in theatre, so I know those statistics. And we are used to the pantomime dame. And the pantomime dame will be usually a man dressed as a woman. And, and it's fa fantastic. I mean, people love it. And I think there's something very powerful in it that I just got to witness recently. A friend of ours, Cornelius, was playing um, Lola in Kinky Boots. And Kinky Boots, for anyone who hasn't seen the musical, is all about this brilliant drag artist. And at the end, we were waiting for Cornelius at the meet and greet outside. And as we watched him receiving members of the audience who just wanted to come and say hello, hello or have a photograph or get a signature, I witnessed most prominently it was teenage girls, young teenage girls breaking down in tears, meeting Cornelius as Lola, and it really just, again, epitomized to me, it's, it's not really necessarily, drag is, is the, if you like, the, the filter, but what's really underneath it is this expression and freedom of, of, of letting your true self or a true self or a version of yourself come out that perhaps you couldn't before. And it's so powerful to witness that effect on people. It's amazing. So I love the sound of your show. Well, thank you. And it's incredible. I experienced similar experiences with RuPaul's Drag Con, where, again, as you're mentioning, it's normally uh, the young girls. And it's not about their gender or their sexuality. Again, they are being told they have to be a certain way. And the exaggeration of drag gives people the permission to do exactly what they feel. And it doesn't really matter what that is. It, it just simply doesn't matter. It could be, you know, the way you dress, it's the way that you uh, act, it's, it's you know, any of that, those expressions. But, and I think our, you know, the world expects girls to have a certain image to wear and do a certain, act a certain way. And with drag, they get the permission to just be themselves. And again, uh, it's funny because people are like, why do you keep talking about being yourself, but you're dressed up as somebody else? This is an example. I always say, Mrs. Kasha Davis is Ed with an exclamation point, you know, and I'm celebrating my mother and my grandmother and keeping them alive. Those Italian divas, you know, that I grew up with. And, uh, and yes, uh, sometimes the exaggerated form helps people to, to live in the norm, I think. Um, but it's, it is incredible. And Kinky Boots, it has such a special, special place in my heart that, that is an amazing story uh, 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 that details a father and son. And when I was in, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and it is exactly what you imagine, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, like they show on The Office. And I had that dad who, you know, we didn't have this, 
the strongest relationship. It was, it was, it was difficult. And, uh, you know, the very fabulous emotional mother and, uh, and my father and I, I just accepted the fact that my dad and I would have no, have no relationship. And unfortunately my mom passed and we started to get a little closer. I'm sober now. I'm starting to realize my side of the street. And long story short, I get to perform in Scranton, Pennsylvania as Mrs. Kasha Davis at a Toyota dealership. Woo, she's a star. And it is to kick off Kinky Boots that's coming through the touring group. And my father, who was the first person to call me a fairy, said, I'm coming to your show tonight. Excuse me? I was, I was, no, 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 no. You know, you've never seen me in drag. You've seen the publications. You heard about it on TV, but you, we've never done this together. And he shows up and he comes into my dressing room, which is the uh, sales department, and says, wow, Eddie, you look beautiful. Oh. You know, and it was the first time that I ever heard my father say, Eddie, you're beautiful. Oh. And he didn't, he wasn't, being silly or sarcastic and I sang my songs and we talked and I talked about my mother in the show and then recently and then not shortly after he passed and as I looked through his things at the side of the bed that you know there that people have a special box of things he saw my social media post and a friend had they printed it out and in his note to his friend it says yes that's my son Eddie I'm so proud oh you know, so I believe that Mrs. Kasha Davis and that drag helped us have that moment and to, to finally be able to say, I love you to one another. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. So I know that we are going to speak to Ed in a moment. And yeah. so, but before we go, I feel like I must end on something superficial, which okay. is beauty. So you have a very particular beauty and over the years, your look has changed. But today oh. I feel like I'm with Elizabeth Taylor meets Sherilyn Fenn from Twin Peaks. What inspires your look right now? Who inspires your look? Well, absolutely, Elizabeth Taylor. My mother and my grandmother, Italian divas. You know, it's it, uh, any of the classic Hollywood celebrities. You know, I am of a certain age. I'm going to be 50. And I, you know, a lot of what is in, out in drag is celebrates, again, much like the females uh, out there is celebrating youth and, mm. you know, at, at being athletic, all that. And so I, I am a strong diva uh, and a lady. Um, I always joke that my mother uh, taught me at a very early age, anybody can be a girl, but it takes a lot of balls to be a lady. <laughs> and uh, my, I've got them right up here. No, but, it, you know, and so it's classic, you know, it's the classic Hollywood beauties. Absolutely. Well, it shines. So <laughs> thank you. Mrs. Kasha Davis, thank you so much. Lovely to get to talk to you. And I know we're going to talk to Ed in a minute, but I just want, I just want you to keep going with what you're doing because it's making a difference in the world. And it brings a smile to my heart whenever I see you out there doing your thing. So thank you. Well, thank you. Ed, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome to meet Mrs. Kasha Davis in the flesh, not yes. just watching, watching her on video. And, you know, I'd love for us to start with RuPaul's Drag Race, which is, is what definitely took you out there into the world on a bigger scale. Um, but I'm, I'm curious what the experience of that was for you, because I know that when we spoke the other day, you told me that with the most recent Emmys, 
it is now the most awarded competition show in the history yeah. of the Emmys, which is pretty phenomenal when you think of what, what the show stands for and, and what the values of the show are. So yeah, I wondered what your experience of it was. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race, it's, it's not only has won those awards, but we, they have shows now, our competitions in Canada, Holland, I'm sure they're going to have, uh, Thailand, I'm sure there will be other places around the world where, you know, the franchise expands. And again, it's celebrating love, positivity, and being yourself. Well, my experience with RuPaul's Drag Race is funny. Uh, I have a, a documentary coming out about me called Workhorse Queen. And it, I say that because I auditioned seven times and the seventh time is when I got on. And so many other uh, performers are now like, well, I auditioned once, I give up. I'm like, no, that's not the way I, you know, you just keep on keeping on and you just work at it. And the... I saw Pandora Box, who is also from Rochester, New York, get cast. And I saw what it, how it changed her life. And I was so motivated to, to participate because I was, um, at the time, I was a director of a call center, telemarketing call center, and had been working there for 18 years. And I wasn't happy. I wasn't doing what I loved. I wasn't performing. You know, I could perform drag on a part-time basis here and there, but I saw Pandora perform in drag as a full-time job. And I thought, well, I need to be a part of this. And so I began the audition process. And as I look back, my husband, Steve, and I did all the tapes. And boy, am I glad I wasn't cast early on. But more so than that, I found out why I wasn't cast. And again, it's much like the things that I talk about in drag. I wasn't being myself. I was trying to give them what they wanted. Mm. just wasn't being Ed or whatever Mrs. Kasha Davis is I, I, or whoever she is. I, I was trying to give them what they were already producing on television. Yeah. And, uh, oh, wow. You know, I grew up with I Love Lucy, you know, being a fan of that. Of course, I didn't grow up. That was the 50s. But I watched the reruns and I was like, oh, this just that comedy genius and um, in the audition process, they knew that, that I was such a fan. And they said, uh, we just want you to know when I was cast. We just want you to know that we're filming your season on the lot where they first filmed I Love Lucy. Wow. And so when I walked in and I saw the big plaque, I was like, we're kind of, to, we get to do this together. And it, was a, it just changed my life being on that, on that reality competition show. That's fantastic. And you said you auditioned seven times. Does that mean seven years? I mean, or were they, were they auditioning multiple times a year? No, seven years. And, you know, so now they're on season 13. I think they just finished filming or are about to film. I'm not sure. Season 13. Um, so it's been a while. And uh, again, I'm just, I'm not going to take, let anybody take that spot from me. You know, I, I was, I think, 11th place. I didn't do so great. It was an amazing experience, but since then I said, well, this is, this is who I am and this is what I do. I'm, I am a full-time drag artist mm. and uh, I get to use my theater experience and singing and, and all of that. And I'm also more than ever telling the truth. I talk about being an alcoholic. I talk about my husband of 17 years, our two children, our dog. It's, we're very transparent because it was important for me to have an example for 
for the audience of a happy, healthy homosexual life. Totally. Because we, you know, those of us that grew up uh, in the area that we grew up, because we're very similar in age, I'm 44. We didn't really have those role models. Like you used, uh, well, Mrs. Kasha Davis used the phrase light on the loafers uh, for the examples of gay characters you would see on TV. And I remember it was, it was usually marginalized to either camp or camp comedy, both of which are fine, but, but were the only real kind of, um, right. the, the kind of more non-threatening perhaps uh, people that we would see. And, and it, it's great to see how that's changed. But like you said, it takes people like yourself or myself or anybody in the world, like just sharing it and talking about it and, and kind of putting it into the culture in a different way. Yes. It was always sidekicks, jokes, and tragedies. Exactly. That were the homosexual lifestyle. And so those were some of the reasons why I was afraid to, to be who I was. I was like, well, I'm, well, first of all, off, it was during the AIDS epidemic, I thought, and I was told, if you were gay, you were just going to die. Mm. And in some ways, that was what was sort of, you know, people's experience uh, uh, if they didn't know uh, gay people. But, and so I, I, I married the first woman who would say yes. And I tried to do whatever anybody else wanted uh, to fit in. And, and lo and behold, that, that drove me to a place where I was unsettled with myself and, and hence why I, I abused alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And so your sobriety journey, you know, and I, knowing a lot about sobriety and people's sobriety journeys, it's really always a spiritual journey. That, that's kind of really what, what it appears to be for anybody that I speak, speak to about sobriety and adopting sobriety into their life. How has that changed your, your worldview, your life view? Ugh. In every possible way, it brought me back to myself. That child that would run outside to lie on the ground and look up at the leaves waving in the wind and say they're, you know, they're talking to me to be connected with nature, to be, you know, just happy in my own skin, comfortable when I'm in in my uncomfortability. You know, I found my, my community. I found people who understood what it was that I was going through, but Really, in the end, I, uh, I found gratitude again for what is. And instead of trying to live in, in the, or focusing on the wreckage of the past or what I was perceiving what was negatively going to happen in the future, it brought me to living in the moment. And if I look back on my bookshelf, it's conversations with God. It's this Buddhist uh, mindfulness. It, it, every, trying, trying, trying to find it. And as I'm reading the book, I'm drinking a Chardonnay, you know, or a whole box of Chardonnay. I wasn't a very classy uh, drinker. It was cheap because that way you can get more of it. Uh, (laughs) You know, and and I just, you know, I I was searching for that. And I I I was I I always had that that passion and, and desire for that spiritual connection. And it wasn't until I put down the spirit that I you know, just to, to reconnect with spirit. Mm. And uh, the connection has been incredible. I, you know, I, I, every day, first and foremost, I'm grateful for my sobriety because without that, there's nothing else for me. And it's enhanced and made every single aspect of my life better. 
Yeah. No, I'm not saying that people shouldn't drink. I'm just saying that that journey for me uh, brought me back to the spiritual connection. And you'd reached a place where your relationship with alcohol was not enhancing your life, kind of the opposite, really. Right. It was, it was, I was putting myself to sleep, essentially. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, unable to walk through some difficult relationship situations and, and just unwilling to, and so staying in that, that place, uh, yeah. staying stuck. I, wasn't, I, I needed to walk through some uncomfortable situations. And, and uh, sobriety helped me, you know, putting the drink down helped me to walk through those. Mm. Brilliant. I'm curious, you know, this, one of the reasons that I put this kind of, the, the idea for this show was because I know more and more people in the world are stepping into new things, whether it's uh, a new career or a new identity. And so I wanted to speak to people like yourself who are in the world bringing either positivity or change or spirituality or something that's hopefully bringing good to other people's lives about your journey with it. And I know that one of the hardest things to do is to kind of start on that road to set out. So what was it like the first time you stepped on a stage as Mrs. Kasha Davis? And what do you remember the, you know, the moments leading up to it and what you experienced? Oh, you know, Anytime I've ever stepped on stage, I knew I was home. Hmm. Whether it was theater, I joke that when I was in a past life that I must have been a court jester who wanted to be the queen. <laughs> I just know that. I feel like I know that story. And, uh, and, and so even as a child, I would draw pictures of my mother as a queen, queen, always with crowns. And she's like, I, don't, I never told you to do that. I'm like, yeah, right. But um, I did. And I just admired that idea of being a queen. But so, you know, getting on stage as Mrs. Kasha Davis, it, I didn't expect it to feel so right. Mm. Because I'm happy in my own skin in terms of my gender. I, you know, he, him, I'm Ed. But Mrs. Kasha Davis is, when I, when I finally put the wig on and the makeup and everything, I look at her, at myself, and I say, you know, it's a celebration of every aspect of me. The sensitive, the strong, the caring, uh, you know, the sassy, whatever the case may be. And, and it's the opportunity to, to really, you know, to showcase all of it. And, and, it, and recently, in the last couple of years, I thought to myself, I, am I trans? And I, I started to think, okay, if I am, I am. Then I realized, no, no, I'm just finally the happiest I am because there's nothing to hide anymore. I'm, I'm all of it. And so I, I say on stage a lot that, you know, I wasn't born a boy or a girl. I was born fabulous. And, and I don't have to be afraid to show any of that anymore. And uh, it comes with a lot of family support. My husband is, is my right hand, you know, everything. And our daughters just, you know, they just think it's a hoot. I mean, how, how, I mean, I came into their life when they were seven and nine. And for God's sake, I started doing drag almost, re, almost immediately. They got to get dressed up and do, you know, fashion shows for us. And how much more fun is that to go to dad's house on Wednesdays and the weekends? And, and, and yeah, you had a whole dress up closet. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So we got to have a lot of really, you know, those girls have multiple parents and each of us were very close as a family. Uh, 
mom is we're all a part of each other's lives and we get to give them a little bit of each of us and uh, i think that's helped them to become the women that they are today definitely i you know i think that 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 tribal way of living that has been eroded in in so much of our modern culture that that isn't so healthy i mean i think it's really important that we have tribal living especially with kids growing up you know that that phrase it takes a village it gives kids different people to engage with connect with and and be influenced by but i it's interesting as i was listening to you talk and you're saying i had this thought "Mm, am i trans and you're like no to me mrs kasha davis is a physical embodiment of your multidimensionality and if you look at spirituality and the teachings of spirituality, you know, we, we are multidimensional beings. And even as people, we have lots of different aspects, you know, the part of us that's a bit more grouchy and a bit more sensitive, the part of us that's a bit more extrovert, the part of us that's a bit more introvert. So I love that you get to physically embody this aspect of, of yourself and the universe. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that you would be able to blow this up into form in a way that perhaps not many other people get to, which is why I think they're so impacted by drag, because they're seeing someone embody fabulousness or a side of themselves that isn't the everyday. Right. It's, it's amazing. The, the, when you know you're doing what you love, there is a spiritual experience. I, for instance, I, I, I was in a ballet company as a kid, and I say kid, but in my 20s, I guess that's a kid. But I... I remember dancing and just feeling like I was swept away. And there are times when I perform on stage where I come off stage and I don't remember being on stage. It was this, this whole, this, this, this all happened. And uh, there were parts of me that, that were, that were experiencing it. And then there were parts of me that were almost floating. And uh, that whole experience uh, is something that I try to talk to kids about in a way. And the idea is that no matter what it is that you love, in this world, you can make a life out of that. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, I had the best advice ever from my uh, ex-father-in-law. My ex-wife and I were sitting and saying, you know, we don't know what to do. We want to open a business. And he said, well, just tell me what you love. And we were like, sarcastically, we love ice cream. He said, great, let's open the best ice cream place there ever was. And, you know, we'll turn it into a chain. And we were like, okay, you know, lesson learned. So, but I didn't do that for so much of my life. I did what was expected of me from other people and their expectations. And I delivered, I was successful, but I was miserable inside. And so Mrs. Kasha Davis is this housewife who gets to get out on stage and do what she loves. And then that shines through. And, and uh, hopefully that message is, is delivered to people that you know you can go through this life doing whatever it is you love and be a success at it. Beautiful. And you said your husband, Steve, works with you and Mrs. Kasha in, in the work. So tell us how, how that looks. Oh, my gosh. Well, so we, we're, we're together 17 years. Mm. And I, I remember as a child dreaming like, about this Steve. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm not supposed to dream about a man, first of all. And I just had this sort of, you know, and then when I met him, I was like, this is too good to be true. And then next thing you know, he says, I got to talk to you about something. And I'm like, oh, great. He's breaking up with me or whatever. He's like, I have two daughters. And uh, a lot of people aren't ready for, I was like, yes. You know, I, uh, you know, it was the biggest disappointment at the time. You know, there wasn't gay marriage. And I didn't see a lot of examples of, 
of, of same-sex couples having children. And so I was like, this is a dream come true. And so he was there the first, when I first saw Miss Richfield 1981 in uh, Provincetown. And I said, I want to do that. I want to, I want to create that character. You know, I went to school for theater. I want to create the whole, the whole backstory. And so the whole drive back, which is a 10 hour drive back to Rochester, he and I sat and just talked it up and it was coming out of us. And I'm like, you know, first pet, first street is the way I'm going to come up with my name. And Kasha is, is an angry white poodle that we had as a kid that, that I as a kid only liked me, didn't like my parents. And I don't know how, what happened to her, but she disappeared. I'll just say that because she wasn't very friendly to anybody else. And then I lived on Davis street, which was this, you know, so Kasha Davis. And then Mrs. is the celebration of the, of, of a married couple, but he's been there every moment. And now we have, uh, and we've re, uh, birthed life with the Davises because again, uh, with COVID, we're trying to entertain as much as possible on social media. And, um, we came back out with our little reality kind of, I'll say a blurb of a five minute glimpse into the life of Mr. and Mrs. Davis. And I think I caught one of those on YouTube. Uh, yeah. It was the one where you, and this is going back some years, you were driving to your daughter's prom. Yes. 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 So we have several videos on YouTube, which is, which has led to the idea that someone wanted to do a documentary on my life because, you know, we just kept putting these videos out prior to RuPaul's Drag Race and then following, again, to share our life experience. I'm just passionate about that. And uh, so we had Life with the Davises, and it was okay. It, it did pretty well. And uh, I had stopped for a bit. And I, so now with COVID, we thought, let's bring it back on, you know, with Instagram and, and YouTube and, uh, and little TikTok videos and things like that until... Um, you know, until we can get back up and going and performing elsewhere. But again, sharing is so important to me. And part of that is the recovery process. Part of that is just my, my desire. Uh, I've always wanted to help and others and lift them up. Um, I've always been gravitated. I would always gravitate to uh, helping others. And so uh, I feel like it doesn't always have to just be silly. You can have positive messaging in drag as well. Yeah, which is one of the things I really love about what you're doing. You know, yes, we have the humor and we have the fabulousness, which I think is something that we all enjoy and, and, and want to be in and celebrate. And, but I also love, and you, you mentioned this, or Mrs. Kasha Davis mentioned this, Mr. Rogers as a really good example. And when we spoke before this conversation, I shared with you that the, the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor just had it, which I funnily enough saw in Provincetown, just had a huge impact on me. I, I didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers. In the UK, we didn't have Mr. Rogers, but I just thought the documentary was phenomenal. And I think there's something that you're, you know, that, that being a guiding light for you is very evident in your work. Thank you. That's that Mr. Rogers, uh, I remember we had a, a household of, of turmoil. You know, there were five kids, a grandmother and parents that fought a lot. They just, it was a part of their just personality and dynamic. And so my siblings would gravitate to cartoons and I loved the quietness of Mr. Rogers. And I loved just how simple it was. And I remember just, I, I just, I, I loved it. And so time went on and then 
when the documentary came out, I realized there was that connection between what I was attempting to do or beginning to do with story time. And it just became very clear to me that that, that type of uh, messaging, that honesty with kids uh, is necessary. Because we all know as kids, what as children, children know what's going on. They know all, they, they're just, they don't necessarily know how to communicate uh, things. And maybe in some ways they probably communicated better. But um, I recently went, I was touring and I was in Pittsburgh and there's this giant statue of Mr. Rogers along the water. And I sat there and I like sitting there just listening to him. They have a loudspeaker of his, of some of his work and it's going, and I'm sitting there crying along the water and I'm like, this is, I'm with Mr. Rogers. You know, I felt we were together at that, in that early morning jog. I stopped there and sat there and I couldn't, I didn't want to leave. But uh, yeah. And you know, in general, don't you find in, as we look around the world with all of the different things that are going on, it doesn't matter. You can insert said topic. The world for whatever reason can gravitate to the negative and to the loud and to the boisterous, Mm -hmm. but positivity uh, and uh, kindness sometimes doesn't get as many likes, sometimes doesn't get as many follows. And what I remember, someone taught me that, you know, it doesn't really matter how many uh, followers you have or how many likes you have. It's, It's, you know, getting those people who like you to love you. Because if they have that connection with you and they're on board, you know, they're going to continue to spread your message uh, of positivity to others. And it might just be a small circle that they communicate that, but that's what I believe our world needs. We've been given so much technology and we're getting so much information, but sometimes that the hot ticket ticket is, is the negative or the harsh or and so, you know, Mr. Rogers wasn't like the, the blatant one that gets advertised all the time. It was simple, it was kind, and it was honest. It's, that, it's kind of that base energy. It's like, you know, the base energy feeds on drama, um, high, distorted, not very rounded sexuality, thrill, adrenaline. It's kind of, that is what I think gets pumped out in so many ways. And yet... I also think sometimes people don't trust the positive or the kindness because of the wounds they have in the way that they haven't yet, you know, either they've had their heart broken by positivity or what they thought was kindness. And they either haven't yet been supported to overcome those wounds or to have a positive experience that lets them start to gravitate toward it more. Um, Or nobody's, yeah, nobody's showing them, nobody's supporting them, or they're not having their own level of awakening that makes them go, oh, hang on a second, I, I want to gravitate towards something higher, which I think is why it's so important that, it's, that positivity and kindness are out there. Because the more you see it as an example, the more you can feel into it. And even if you have barriers the first few times or judgments or issues, the more you're able to be around it, gradually you can acclimatize a bit more and start to trust. And, and you know, it's, it's okay for us to have a barrier. It's okay to, you know, we realize we may have fear from previous experiences. And I think that, you know, it's also okay for somebody who is a, you know, a positivity uh, individual to have a bad day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because we, we, we have an expectation, we're like, well, oh, wow, this person is 
exuding positivity, but today they did this. Well, yes, because they are human and there are times when, you know, they're not having but the, the greatest day. But what are the tools that, that, that they may be talking about that help them get back to that place? And, and so there's no one perfect. No, and I think, I think, I think it's, again, we go back to multidimensionality rather than linearity. So it's like, you know, so much of our programming is linear. You win this and you'll be happy. You get this and you'll be happy. And of course it doesn't work like that. It's like you, yeah, you win that thing that you've been aimed, aimed at for a while. You might feel happy for 10 minutes. You might feel crushingly disappointed because you got to the end of the race and you hadn't worked out that the journey was the best part, not standing on a podium. That kind of felt weird and everyone was looking at you and you weren't so comfortable with that. So I think, again, it goes back to these, these strange boxes that we're often conditioned to believe in that just aren't true. It's like, as you said, it's, a very positive person is allowed to have a bad day, expect them to have a bad day. And you as a very negative person, allow yourself to have a positive, uh, positive day. You know, I always had a good friend who loved them. I enjoy moaning. We call it moaning in England. Um, So, you know, I I like moaning when I'm working out like, and it kind of does something good for me, like to, to humorously moan about things. I don't walk into people's like gatherings and start moaning at them or moaning about things but the people who are close to me every now and then I like to kind of moan about something go oh, roll my eyes but it does me good it kind of balances everything it lets some steam off in a slightly funny silly way but it, it lets some steam out so I do think we all need to to remember how we're all made up of so many different things and and I think so much of our culture programming or the way that we've been trained to look at figures on television or in movies or you know people who put in magazines i mean i think when we were growing up we were sold such a bill of goods about what those lifestyles were and who those people were and it's just one angle one perspective one angle one moment in their life it doesn't it's not a whole picture right do you remember robin leach like that his show was robin leach's lifestyles were rich and famous and I'm thinking to myself now, you know, I love the lifestyle of the simplicity. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't have abundance and people shouldn't strive for those things. But even just in this, the, the time of COVID, to be able to look and say, I, I never spent 24 hours a day with my husband. We've spent 24 hours a day since March together. And I can honestly say that we learn more about each other and we learn to do things like go hiking. And I thought, I didn't know Rochester was so beautiful. Why was I traveling all the way to Australia to find yeah. beauty? You know, it's right in front of my face. And so different uh, experiences like that, finding the good in some of those uh, difficult times, but also giving yourself, as you mentioned, that's place to be like, I am not having a good day. I do not have, uh, you know, I don't have anything great to say today, you know, uh, but these are my tools to kind of get me back to that space. Um, this, it, 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 those are important. Yeah. Well, to conclude our conversation today, I wondered if you would share with us some of the things that you've heard from people in this last six months, especially since COVID hit, because I know that you've been getting a lot of emails and a lot of messages. And I thought it would be interesting to get, get your take on what are some of the most common things that you're hearing 
that people have experienced this year in 2020, maybe the highs and the lows? Because um, I know you're hearing from a lot of different voices. Are there any things that stick out in your mind? You know, I because I speak or I perform on my social media so much for children, I hear a lot of just concern and fear about people going back to school or, you know, what to do with their children and how to, to manage these things at home. And, um, and that's certainly, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's just all uncharted territory. And, and I have, I'm glad to be a part of that diversion for them and, you know, to give them a, a positive space and something, uh, a release. Uh, I've had more fun, cute messages from from children than I've ever. They're just darling. And uh, the things that they say. <laughs> you know, I have I have a friend whose whose uh, sister is she's in her thirties, but she is uh, mentally a seven or eight year old. I would say is what is how he describes her and. She sings uh, the song uh, that I sing at every story time, Your Gift Is Your Smile, out loud. And I'm able to, um, uh, you know, I mention her in my story times, Angela. And uh, to, she looks forward to every night on Wednesday and, and Sunday to know that she has time with Mrs. Kasha Davis. Oh. I have, yeah, I have had kids uh, send me messages and photos and parents saying our children are only mesmerized when you're on TV and they put, they project it up on, t on TV. Um, and I've had uh, people say that I've inspired them to consider the path of sobriety. I've had many people reach out saying that in these times it's been very difficult uh, because their drinking or drugging might have escalated and the positivity that I put out helps them to consider another path, maybe not take it, consider it. Um, I then had the, the most interesting one I got was a few days ago from the UK. I had a priest say that she enjoys story time and uh, Mondays with MKD so much that she's incorporating me into her sermon. Wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> and I said, oh my goodness, I've never received this type of message. And, you know, of course she's like, I will send it to you and I want to make sure that you're, you know, and, and, and that type of gratitude and feedback is beyond anything that you can say monetarily. I mean, cool. certainly everyone, uh, you know, is looking to make a living, but to receive messages like that and to say that, you know, that you've inspired people to make a positive change in their life. I mean, there's no greater gift. I mean, that is, that is what, you know, sobriety is about giving back but that is something that i mentioned earlier is that i've always wanted to do is find ways to help people i feel as though theater helps people and i've been able to incorporate that into the aspect of the character mrs kasha davis that's beautiful and it's funny because you know as i sit and listen to you it's it's very clear that one of the one of the groups of people i like speaking to on this show are change makers and when we hear about your story and, and the, the same time period that we both grew up in, you are being the change you wish to see in the world in terms of the values you're bringing, 
the diversity and the inclusion that Mrs. Kasha Davis is, is bringing in, in in so many different ways. Um, so it's beautiful. And, and yeah, thank you for doing what you do, Ed. And thank you for coming here today, letting us have a conversation with Mrs. Kasha Davis too. And um, I look forward to where, where you go next and what you do next, because I'm so enjoying what you're doing now. Well, thank you. And likewise, I'll be, I'm, I'm, I, you're making me want to rush the month. I can't wait for the next update all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. I, I will actually be recording it today. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we will be bringing this out probably, a, I think, a little later. But thanks so much for all you're doing. Now, the best place for people to find you, I would highly recommend uh, your Instagram page, which is Mrs. Kasha Davis. Yes. KashaDavis.com the best place that everybody can find all the different things that you do? I, I like to say that I'm on the www, which is the World Wide Web, in case anybody doesn't know, at uh, mrskashadavis.com. And then if you Google Mrs. Kasha Davis, you'll find me on Instagram, on uh, Twitter, and on Facebook. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, and TikTok. I forgot about TikTok. That's, that's the new one. Great, great. <laughs> well, we will put links to everywhere that you can find Ed and Mrs. Kasha in the show notes underneath. Ed, thank you for being with us. And thank you to everyone who tuned in to today's show. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. You have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com. In 2018, I launched a course called Empaths vs. Narcissists, a power dynamic and how to recover from it. It's a video course and it's designed to support you to recover from any kind of relationship where you have given your power away. It's interesting because narcissism has been this big topic and I think it's very easy for any of us to just point the finger and label people. And it's also very complicated. You know, at any particular moment, we can all have narcissistic tendencies or behave empathically. Why I created this course is time and time again, I was meeting and working with so many people who had got themselves quite entangled into this unhealthy dynamic and had come out of it, didn't know how to recover from it, didn't quite know what had happened to them, but also didn't know what to rebuild in themselves in order to avoid walking back into it in the future. And I certainly had my own experiences around this. So the course is born of personal experience, my experience of working with one-on-one -on -one clients and groups around the world for several years on this topic. And it's delivered via video, audio, worksheets. And for 2020, we are launching again this fall in September. And it will be open for just over a month that you can enroll because we like to support the course live. So as each piece is delivered over the two months, me and my team can support you as you go through the process. There are also some bonus interviews that I'm adding this year with people who have particular expertise and experience around this dynamic. It's the most healing course that I offer and have offered, and it has been very acclaimed by the students who have gone through it so far. So we're really looking forward to opening the doors again. It's a touchy subject, you know, it's not the most fun thing to, to, to look at or to 
visit in yourself, but the results can be profound when you figure out how you got yourself into giving your power away in the first place, how to recover from the fact that you did it, and then how to avoid doing it again in the future. So I hope you'll join us for Empaths vs. Narcissists 2020. You can visit empathsvsnarcissists.com to find out more details about the full course.